This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chess fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. Dan, one of your hosts here alongside Nick. No, Brandon, but Nazar Kinsella joining us as well for a little international blues conversation today. And we'd be remiss if we didn't start the conversation off. Again, Chelsea gets a lot of flack for things that they don't do right, whether that's on the pitch or off the pitch. But this weekend, they did have the Legends match, the Chelsea Legends versus the Bayern Munich Legends, and a tribute to Gianluca Vialli, former player and manager for Chelsea Football Club. That seemingly went off to great recognition, great support from everyone who was able to attend this weekend. And as we were getting ready for this episode, I think, Naz, you highlighted that he was one of the first individuals... uh, related or affiliated with Chelsea that you had a chance to interview and thought it'd be a great way just to kick into this conversation before we talk about the return to Premier League action to throw a little praise and a little recognition on a wonderful man, a wonderful player, wonderful manager in Gianluca Vialli. Yeah, I think he definitely very much deserved that major event at Stamford Bridge and it was sort of a celebration of his life. A lot of the ex-players who played with him, I saw the very nice interview with uh, Zola, who's, uh, you know, a Chelsea legend, just like Viali was. Um, and they were very close friends as well off the pitch. And yeah, he was, uh, he got the big match and Chelsea played well. And I think everyone who went to the game really enjoyed it. It was great for the Chelsea supporters to show love. I think uh, Lucas family was there as well, right? And when Chelsea lifted the trophy for beating Bayern Munich's legends 4-0, um, the family were there. John Terry lifted the trophy sort of alongside um his daughters so uh yeah he's he was a great man i think uh when, when i met him i was really in awe of him it was one of my first interviews so i was generally nervous but yeah he just sort of invited me and gave me a great opportunity very early in my career doing what i do now um so i'll always be grateful for that and then we sort of kept in touch over the years with him and the people around him and they're all brilliant people and he was a brilliant man a brilliant player i mean i admired him when I was a kid watching football, um, Juventus and Chelsea, just absolutely brilliant striker uh, and then a brilliant manager as well. And he, he does have a really important place in Chelsea's history, winning trophies uh, You know, as a player and a manager. And sort of what I always say of that era is it sort of kick-started the Roman Abramovich era because it's people like Viali who made Chelsea attractive to somebody like Roman Abramovich and and they bought it off the back of some of the success that he had and the people around that era had so they kind of sort of set the bar for the Chelsea that we know now where it's really a major major football force whereas you know before maybe they were just picking off a few trophies but now um, he was sort of one of the, the guys who built Chelsea really. And, and one thing to note, and we saw a lot of our friends there yesterday. Uh, so for those who were able to attend, that was awesome. Uh, a lot of tears in the stadium. Um, they played Nessun Dorma, which is you know a very touching part of the tribute. Um, just a note that, of course, this is all supporting uh, Chelsea Foundation's work, right? The Royal Marsden Cancer Charity, um, friend of the pod, uh, Louis Beneventi. Um, has kind of a, a close personal connection there. So we, and, you know, hope that you go uh, watch his Instagram stories as, as to why um, why that is. But you can still donate uh, even after the match has, has kind of concluded. So uh, if you text the word Luca to 785 in the UK, um, that, that will kind of get you into the donation mode. Otherwise, there's a Just Giving page that's linked on the club's website that we can link in the show notes. Uh, if you were not able to attend or were not able to support already, that's a, a great way to do it. 
Yeah, plus you had a chance to witness a bunch of Chelsea goals as well. And uh, I think none other than John Terry scoring in the 26th minute is probably the most perfect of the bunch just in the way that he made that happen. But again, we are going to talk about a couple of things today. We're going to get into just the injuries that are going on at Chelsea. Maybe what are some of the late fitness updates we have as Chelsea get back into the Premier League action this weekend. There were one or two names coming out that were linked to Chelsea at the very end of the window that Naz has reported on that we weren't aware of initially and then also maybe some updates and contracts and what's going to happen in the months ahead but before we do that we just want to say thanks everybody who supports the podcast you can do so through patreon.com forward slash london blue pod join the discord community you also can leave five star views on apple Podcasts and spotify and hey you know what also subscribe and get notified on youtube it's a great way to support the show uh, and look we've got a plenty Plenty of old episodes that you may have missed. We've been publishing a couple of the Blue Royalty episodes. The Me Official Deep Dive was fantastic. If you want to know more about some of the new talent ahead of the start of their FAWSL campaign and defense, you should check that out. But look, Naz, we're back this weekend. Pochettino has had a little bit of time off. The players have had a little, little time off. But just the other day, there's a new injury concern for Chelsea cropping up with Romeo Lavia and potentially a long layoff on top of a long road to getting back to fitness after a lack of preseason. What are you understanding about the latest for Lavia and his push to try to get into the side after making the switch from considering Liverpool to coming to Chelsea? I think everyone knew all summer that Romeo Lavia was going to leave Southampton and join some sort of uh, big club. So I think they were kind of pushing for a move and, and yeah, it kind of left him in a really poor uh, physical condition. It's not an injury, you know, that he had before now, but um, he was just sort of considered not in the right condition to play at the Premier League level. So he was kind of almost having a behind closed doors pre-season of his own, really a lot of strength and conditioning work. You think of what Maurizio Pochettino did with his players in that first two weeks before the US tour. That's kind of what Lavi has been doing in the in the last few weeks at Chelsea, the standard that him and his coaching staff, Pochettino, they really want the standard of fitness to be incredibly high. So Lavi has been trying to get to that level. And, and yeah, you know, you get to that level to have injury prevention. But on the way, you know, one of his first training sessions last week when he sort of reintroduced to the group, he gets a, an ankle injury. Now, the extent of that is still being assessed. But there are fears that it, it could be an extended period. We've not heard, we've not had the dreaded Chelsea press release yet, you know, saying quite how bad it will be so I'm hoping that's good news but um, there's certainly fears there he's being assessed a little bit and uh, yeah he was sort of with a five six man group training under Pochettino and, and then he gets hurt so a little bit of a shame hopefully he's okay um, we're kind of waiting just to find out really definitive the length of time but um, yeah there's a few concerns there and and yeah it's a bit of a shame for Chelsea because he gets to make his debut and, and join sort of in Kunku in that sort of camp where he's a new signing, but he's not not ready to play, so a bit of a shame. I guess a uh, follow-on to that, uh, Naz, and I know Rome's not built in uh, a day, right? But are you surprised that the continued injuries with the advanced fitness program that was run, even for players that were there at the start of the summer and everything that's gone on, or is this indicative of just a larger problem in world football where there's just too many matches? Like, a lot of the international matches that are being played this weekend and and even into October, you know, next month 
are not necessarily like mission critical matches in a lot of different ways. Maybe they're Euro qualifiers or something like that, but like it just, it feels like there, there could be a little column A, a little column B, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you're right, Nick. I think there's definitely that stress on players at the minute where there's loads of injuries going around, especially, you know, after preseason where teams have been, you know, on long tours and stuff like that. So it it, it seems like a lot of the teams that have had those long tours have had injuries as well. Uh, but yeah, it's it's something that I think football hasn't got to grips with in general. But I think with Chelsea, there is a special problem that's just a Chelsea problem, which is this is a long time coming. So many injuries uh, for basically a period of a year and it's not good and, and each injury causes a strain on other parts of the squad and things like that so um, it, it really is a Chelsea problem that needs sorting out internally at Chelsea we've seen that the medical department got hugely overhauled last year over 50% of the staff were sort of moved on and replaced um, you've got to say is the, is the current staff working as well as before we don't know but there's certainly that question mark that the track record isn't good the one positive about Chelsea right now in terms of getting on top of this and it's it's funny to say that now because there's 10 or 11 players out injured right now but Maurizio Pochettino is very good at getting players fit and healthy he's got a great track record of that but the the real genius behind it is uh, actually his assistant um, Perez um, he's, uh, he's the guy he's got a sports science degree he understands everything so it's kind of his his area really of expertise where you know he's the he's sort of Pochettino's right hand man, great at a lot of things, but really on that sports science front, he's the he's the man. Um so hopefully he can be part of that. And it was interesting hearing Pochettino talk about Reese James's injury problems, and it's kind of like we need to investigate and get to the bottom of it. So you know they've got a team themselves that can handle these things, but also Chelsea's a club, I think needs to get better and have some serious thoughts with themselves about how to improve these injuries. And it feels like, Naz, that this is likely a situation now where someone like Leslie Ugochukwu is going to see maybe more minutes if Romeo Lavia is out. Someone we thought was signing, was likely to go on loan, ends up becoming a player who's getting subbed into matches before others and now has a prime opportunity to show Pazzuccino and maybe put Lavi even further down kind of the thought process for Pochettino and team if he can string together a couple of good substitute appearances. I don't necessarily think he's the starting solution unless there's another injury, which we hope will not happen, but it feels like he is going to get a significant amount of substitute minutes over the next couple of weeks, given his conditioning is better than, you know, some of the other options. Yeah. And injury is always an opportunity for another player, right? So Leslie's, uh, probably going to profit from this situation um, and I think he's done okay so far at Chelsea. I thought that the I was there at the Wimbledon match where he first started and he started that match really well faded a little bit but yeah he's sort of a work in progress. I think Pochettino's impressed with him because the plan was to send him out on loan maybe to a Strasbourg um, but he's ended up staying you know and that's a that's a credit to him that he sort of changed the manager's thoughts in training, looked good um, and kept himself in the frame so yeah he could he could profit from this situation, I guess, uh, in a weird way. And as I, th I think another one that people are excited to see when we come back from this international break is Armando Broya. We know that he's kind of gotten back into his fitness regimen, getting a chance to integrate with the squad. We even saw the quote back in August where 
Pochettino was being asked about, like, what are you doing with attacking options and mentioned that they were considering all players but didn't want to necessarily stop Borja's evolution. So that was like a mid-August quote, so like before the window had closed, before we knew where he was on his fitness journey. Do you have any thoughts about when we might see him this month? Is it unlikely, I would imagine, right after the break, but there's going to be enough matches in September and then beginning into October that we might get a chance to see him at least substitute in the next two, three, four matches? Yeah, I think I think he's very, very close to um, being back. I mean, extremely close now. Um, I think that the, the, the way I understand his situation was that he's been ready for a while, but Chelsea have been really cautious with him um, just because it was an ACL injury, but there's nothing to suggest that there's any concerns about his fitness. In fact, he's actually, I think, stronger than before. You, you know, People do consider him uh, very strong, very ready to come back and, and do something you know, really good for the team and, and be a really impactful player. So uh, I think that he's in great shape, but they've just been uber cautious. There's a, there's an actual uh, sort of methodology to these kind of injuries as well. When you um, get an ACL injury, I think doctors, there's a lot of research into it and, and doctors suggest that it has to be nine months out. This is a guy who, and, and you do occasionally see players come back in less than nine months, but he, they, that Chelsea have been like, no, we're going to wait nine months no matter what. Even if you look ready, even if you seem ready, which he is, he's been training, doing partial sessions with Pochettino. They've been holding him back a little bit. We'll wait for the nine-month mark. Then, you know, statistically, it shows that you're less likely to get re-injured. So that's how Chelsea are playing it, and hopefully it works. But it certainly seemed like he is in a great shape from an ACL injury, as, as good as you can be. So expect to see him in the under-21s very soon. I think they play on Saturday. It wouldn't surprise me if he started that one. They play again on Tuesday. Maybe he'll play in that one instead. But um, I'd expect to see him in one of the next sort of three under-21 games. And then if he started doing that, then maybe on the bench, 10 minutes, then 20, then 30, then 60. That That's kind of how we'll see him introduced. So it will feel like he's being stage managed slowly back but I think we're going to start seeing his face around it now and and, and it's going to be a bit more exciting yeah to two follow-ups to that Naz. I think first I mean he's not a small guy right and I think you know based on our knowledge of ACLs in American sports like when you see a, a, a rather big athlete go down with a knee injury it seems like it takes them a little bit longer than maybe the smaller shiftier guys of course it's all subject to you know an individual's recovery time but he's one of the bigger guys in our squad do you think that they're you know it sounds like they're being extra cautious with his recovery because we don't really have a backup striker right now is that is that part of it that it's just like you know run run nico until armando's fully 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 back i think it's just chelsea a very in all aspects of the way they operate, they're very long-termist, so they don't really take risks. And I think that that's sort of where you're, where you're seeing it. Everything's about the long-term. We believe in the long-term. We believe in our talent. Even if it looks bad right now, I think that that's sort of how they feel about things. So, yes, it might hurt the team in the short term. I mean, there's no greater game that hurt Chelsea where they didn't have Breuer than the Nottingham Forest game that's just been. Right. So, literally, that's... Um, that's the game. David David Washington was on the bench. Uh, he's not ready to play, so he didn't come on. And, and that was the sort of thinking. But Chelsea needed a striker in that game. Uh, Jackson probably had one of his worst days, and, and it can happen to a young player. So 
it'd be good. I think Chelsea need Breuer, but they've been careful. It's probably harmed the team a little bit not to have him, but um, I think that his long-term health is priority over results even. I think that that's the thinking at Chelsea. And I guess the the last question here on Breuer is, you know, let's fast forward to a date in the future where he is 100% healthy and Jackson's 100% healthy. Do you see them potentially playing together in a front two at any point? Do you see, because I know that Jackson played off of a, a striker Villarreal before, seemed to do pretty well in a situation like that. Obviously, that causes all sorts of other personnel problems. Where do you play Sterling? Where do you play Mudrick, Matawake, all the other winger talent that we've accumulated over the last couple of years? Like, how do, how do you see them interacting? Is it just simply like for like, or do you see them playing off each other? I don't see them playing off each other, really, but I think they can play off each other. They could do that, and that could be a solution in specific games, generally probably more from the bench than the start, but I think that that will be looked at and used. Sometimes you just want two guys who've got presence and they both have that, um, and that would be useful. Forest game again would be a perfect example Mm -hmm. where that would work. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's going to be the way it is. And and looking at the way Pochettino managed the squad in pre-season as well, it was there was that call for Jackson and Kunku to play together, but I think he'll see it as, yeah, I've got two strikers, one in, one out, uh, that kind of thing. So that'll be the more likely and more... More, uh, yeah, I think that's the way the squad management worked with Pochettino in the striker department. So I think a lot of people were hearing rumors. I think you've talked about, you know, in, in previous episodes, like the right bid sort of came in for Broya that they, you know, Chelsea would think about moving him on. I'm, I'm happy he stayed personally. You know, if there wasn't another great striker on the market, like this is a guy who we, who we believe in, uh, who can do a job and who obviously provide something different to what Jackson does. Like he's just kind of a different sort of striker. So very nice uh, depth option, assuming all things are good on the health front. Yeah, I think it's it's not really a player Chelsea really pushed out. I mean, most academy players got pushed for this obvious pure profit FFP kind of thing, but Broy is not really one they pushed out. Uh, They didn't really uh, try to sell him um, and they also didn't try to sign a striker. So it's a huge vote of confidence for uh, for Breuer. Um, and it's just a case of getting him on the pitch now. But certainly it feels like he is uh, being backed by not just Pochettino, but also the club itself. So can they turn him and Pochettino's turn Kane into Harry Kane? So uh, everyone will be looking at Breuer and thinking, can he turn Breuer into the next level striker that some people hope he will become? Clip it, Dan. He's the next Harry Kane. Clip it. That, that would be a magic trick that you would want repeated more than once. But we're going to talk about a couple other players who are on their fitness journey and check in on where they're at as well. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break from our sponsors. With the busy fall season already in swing, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Look, I just moved, right? And we got a conveniently timed box of Factor meals to the house. My wife and I loved having these not-frozen quick to microwave. We actually threw them in the toaster oven, the air fryer, and they heated up really quick and they were delicious. I'm telling you, if you're moving or if you're busy, having eight, nine, 10, 12 meals in your fridge was perfect. It was the ultimate convenience. They tasted well. You had your main entree with the protein, veggies on the side. You were good to go. Make sure you go check it out. Honestly, life is too busy to not have a healthy meal in your fridge ready to go. And again, like I said, 
They are fresh. They are not frozen. They come in a refrigerated pack. They were great. Uh, and you can also, not only this, start to add some breakfast in there. They've got bacon and egg breakfast skillet, bacon and cheddar, egg bites, potato, all of this good stuff. Like I said, it's going to energize you throughout the day with clean, healthy energy. So anyways, this September, get Factor. Start enjoying it. Use our code. Go to factormeals.com forward slash London is blue 50 and use code London is blue 50 to get 50% off. That's no joke. Right now, use the code London is blue 50 at factormeals.com forward slash London is blue 50 to get 50% off. What are you waiting for? So, Naz, another one that is a, maybe a more recent occurrence is Mikhailo Mudrik. He came off injured in the friendly against Ukraine over the international break here. We know that Pochettino has not been starting him, opting to play Ben Chilwell in a left-wing role, which seems to be more about Mudrik not being ready than Ben Chilwell being the best option at left-winger <laughs> in, in the attack, even though the underlying stats would tell you that he, the left side of the attack is actually better when Ben Chilwell is out on the pitch than when he is not. So what's your understanding about maybe, is there any concern about the injury that he had over the break or is this maybe just zooming out still the larger issue that his fitness is not where it needs to be and that Pochettino the club you know really are concerned about where his fitness is at yeah they, they kind of Chelsea tried to send him uh doing international football remember in the summer where he played for Ukraine's men's national team then he played for the under 21s at the Euros and he he uh, had a few injury problems out there as well, and it was all—it was all designed to build his confidence, which hasn't been the highest. And uh, he did really well actually, but um, yeah, had some fitness issues. Then he was a bit slow in preseason. He did—he played well against Brighton, but he didn't get that many minutes in preseason actually. Um, and then he's been on the bench for Pochettino ever since. So with a few injuries as well, he's missed I think two games. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, it's a slight concern, really, um, that his sort of fitness levels clearly aren't at the highest level they should be at. I mean, he's still really fit. He still runs quick, as we've seen. He tried to take on Kyle Walker in that match a few times, and Walker's probably one of the fastest right-backs in the world, and he gave him a good go. Um, but, yeah, there was a moment where he came off the pitch with what looked like a maybe a muscle injury. We don't know if it's tightness yet at this stage or a full-blown um, pull, um, but he came off. Uh, looking a bit uncomfortable there. So um, I'm hopeful. He, he walked off the pitch. I was watching a video of him walking off the pitch and he didn't need any support. He just sort of signaled he wanted to come off and then he came off and walked off. So I'm hopeful it's not bad. I don't think there's huge concern about him, but it's more of a, maybe a conditioning issue that he needs to work on. And, and we saw the athletic as well, right, in that there's concern he's doing too much gym work as well. So maybe it's actually... Yeah for him that he's he wants to win so hard he wants to do well so hard that he's overworking himself rather than anything else this is i think part of the conundrum that chelsea fans are trying to understand with a, a, a fitness concern with Mikhailo mudrick right because he is the instagram workout king right and he you know unlike previous players that we've had that are, are clearly not fit he is, he looks physically fit. Now there is a massive difference between being physically fit and like match fitness and understanding how to play within a team and all the other sorts of things that I think we've discovered about him that are the reasons why he's not starting at Chelsea. But I, I mean, the club clearly 
understands that he's a fitness freak and he's doing a lot of this extra gym work and he's lifting weights all the time and he's in the gym. Are they, do you think they're going to work with him on like finding that balance and, and getting into maybe more of like a mental conditioning mode to, to fit within the team scheme that, that Potch is trying to build? Yeah, I think that's huge with him. I think he's clearly a character that he has an unbelievable work ethic, but it might be a bit too much in a way and you need to get the balance right of rest uh, recuperation as well as working hard. So I think he's maybe not found that balance in the best way and, and the club and Chelsea need to work with him. He needs to work with the club as well. Um, it is very common in football now. I mean, you see it with all the Chelsea guys on their Instagram. They'll be doing extras. I mean, I just saw... Trevor Shalabar today, even though he's got hamstring injuries, working on his core and and that can help you in tackles and all sorts of things. So uh, they find ways to improve themselves even when they've got problems and and things like that and off the pitch. But maybe for maybe for Mudrick, it, it does seem a bit excessive. It seems like almost every day you see him in the gym and stuff like that. So maybe he needs to get that balance a bit better and Chelsea uh, do need to guide him. But people like Jesus Perez, who I mentioned earlier, he's He's going to be key to that because he's a he's an expert on that sort of conditioning and, and sort of tracking of his players you know, digitally and and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be key with him. Do do you see um, final question on Mudrik for me? Obviously, it's been a slow start for him at Chelsea. There there can be no doubt about that. He has not really featured very much this season, and when he has, I think has largely you know, maybe due to the situation in the game or the type of opponent we're up against has not really um, found, you know, his feet uh, for, for Poch quite yet. Didn't really even play that much in preseason, which I found to be pretty interesting as we were kind of following the the team around all over the Eastern seaboard. Is this in your mind? And again, this is pure guess and speculation. Is this kind of a regroup season for him where he has to, kind of get back in, prove himself, make sure that he is kind of mentally, physically ready to to play for Chelsea and then maybe a springboard into, into next season? Or do you think he can advance up those uh, up the ladder more quickly because he's already been at Chelsea for, for half a season? Yeah, I think a lot of people, you'll hear a lot of pundits will criticise Mudrick heavily and, and say they expect him to be a star. He cost 88.5 million. Uh, yeah the big signing for Chelsea and and sort of in a way rightly so but I think in realistic terms it's more about progressing him bit by bit he's a very rough diamond he's got insane talent as we saw in pre-season against Brighton but he's got a lot wrong with his game I think that needs working on especially in Pochettino's system and what he wants I mean it's no surprises out the team not just from a lack of maybe impact but it's tactical as well um can he take on the ideas I mean everyone's been criticizing Chilwell left wing um and I did speak to Chilwell about that during the um my time with England and yeah he accepts he needs to shoot more but actually Chil- Ben Chilwell on the left wing is uh, quite tactically important for the team he way Pochettino wants to play he's doing more of that and Kunku type movement he's got the intelligence to do it and defensively he can help cover a bit as well. So um, Mudrick's not been great defensively for Chelsea, I don't think, with his pressing. I don't think it's uh, you know quite intelligent enough. I think that also he's, he needs to work on his game defensively. Um, defending is an art in itself and I don't think he naturally has that. He never had to defend for Shakhtar. I, I was reading a long time ago, Liam Toomey wrote a good piece for The Athletic. They basically just kept him up there 
um, and he sort of just sprung attacks left, right, and centre. No, no need to defend. Um, but actually, at the top level of the game, it doesn't matter who you play for. All every single Man City player can defend. All Klopp's forwards have to defend, and all Chelsea and under Pochettino's forwards must defend. So I think he needs to get that side of his game right. Um, and uh, I think that's a bit of a work in progress. It's going to take time in reality. And then, like you say, there's the body thing. There's a confidence thing, which is mental. So there's a huge amount to work with him on. Uh, it's a big project. So I think it, if he could become a great impact player for Chelsea, like winning matches from the bench or or helping wind down the clock when Chelsea are 1-0 up, if he can do that well, I think that's good progress. And that's where he, he needs to be aiming. And then we can talk maybe at the end of the season where he's starting games and, and making even more impact. Um, plenty of season to still make an impact. He's had three appearances so far at 69 minutes, so there's not a lot of football for him at Chelsea this season to critique just yet, and hopefully he does get up and running, which would be the best thing for everyone uh, from a Chelsea perspective, at least, maybe not for the opposition. Uh, another one that looks ready to get back to full speed very, very soon, Benoit Badia-Shield. We know that Chelsea do have... You know, a good complement right now of center back options for Pochettino to choose from. Maybe the one of the healthiest areas on the pitch for Chelsea in terms of where everyone is at. It feels like he won't necessarily be rushed back, Naz, but it does give Pochettino potentially an option if he wants to change or rotate a little bit more to, you know, for someone like Thiago Silva to get him an opportunity to rest or recover at times. That might be something that Pochettino says, hey, I'm, I'm excited by the opportunity to keep the side a little fresher. Yeah, they'll they'll need to rest Thiago at some point. I mean, you look at that Brighton game in the Cup and maybe that'll be the one where Thiago gets rested. Maybe that'll be the one where Benoit Badishile makes his first start. So maybe he should be aiming for that. I know he's close as well. And I think he's in a similar place to where Breuer is right now. It was a knee injury, a different kind of knee injury, not as severe, but he has been out for quite a while. So I expect to see him in the under-21s probably. Maybe not appearing as much as Breuer in the 21s, but I think he might play one maybe two games there and and sort of uh yeah be reintroduced that way so yeah center back's a bit less of a you know demanding position in terms of sprints and stuff like that so maybe you won't need quite as long either as Breuer but uh yeah he's very close and um I think that he's got a big future Chelsea really wanted to keep Colwell but um yeah I think they're, they're going to find a way to play these two guys together at some point and and stuff like that I mean Colwell's playing left back right now so maybe they can play together that way. Um, and yeah, I think they see, they're really excited about Badi Shile. He played pretty well last season, didn't he? So yeah, we'll, we should see him back soon in the, I'm hoping in the next sort of run of games. Do you see him as the left center back and Colwell as the left back for the foreseeable future? Is that kind of where we're, we're potentially at? Well, I think that definitely that's sort of the system right now. I think there could be tactical evolution that goes on and maybe people get moved around, but uh, that seems like the most natural place where it would it would sort of manifest itself right now. I mean, there's also a debate, can you play two left-sided centre-backs together? I think that everyone at Chelsea thinks yes, so we could see them yeah. back, back as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, people forget that John Terry wasn't left-footed, still played on that side, did pretty well for himself. So, you know, it all works out. Yeah, I think that it's interesting if, um, I bet Cole will be the one who switches to the right, because I think he's, slightly better on the ball than even Badia Sheila, who's pretty good on it. And then the last one, just from an injury check-in, would be Reese James. We know that Malagusto has done, I would say, a very strong job in terms of mm -hmm. situating himself in the Premier League this season, uh, particularly when you're talking about 
the deputizing for Reese James, I think, is a very difficult ask for anyone to play in that position and feel like they're bringing value in the same way. But I feel like we've done a great job in that position, particularly in the pitch, where we've brought up the floor of the replacement significantly from prior seasons where it was Reese James. And then you had to go very, 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 very far down the list in terms of looking at where that replacement ranked, maybe in terms of their output. But uh, Reese obviously be one that, you know, coming back from another injury, long period out again, will the club be maybe a little bit more cautious now because of how Gusto's been playing, give him maybe more time to get back up to speed? Yeah, I think Gusto just gives Chelsea the security not need not to need to push James back, right? So I've been really impressed with him myself, like you guys. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's sort of the case. That's the situation. And, and also, don't forget, I just mentioned a bit earlier, but... Pochettino really wants to build James's fitness so this run ends because this has been terrible and, and Reese is still hugely important to Chelsea. I mean, he's the captain now. Um, this is the guy the club is betting on. So, yes, Malo Gusto is taking his chance, but I think that Reese is still the main man. But it's also a case of we can take our time now. We've got one game a week. Let's get it right. Let's really reintroduce him in the right way. All that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, Malo Gusto's getting the minutes, getting better every week um, in James' absence. So, yeah, it's time to just slowly work on Reese and get him back. And I think that that's sort of the plan. So, yeah, I think the, it's uh, going to be interesting, that that battle in the future as well. If Reese doesn't get it right, then maybe there's danger longer term that Malo Gusto could take the place. But right now, prime, prime Reese James is, is just on another level still, even though I've been super impressed with Gusto. Yeah, I mean, think about the timeline, right? This His injury happened basically the end of August or like, you know, I think third week of August. The, the original prognosis was like for a month or so out. Do you think if they slow roll him back, which seems to be the, the methodology now, it might even be till after the next international break before he's like fully, fully back. Yeah, possibly. I think also you could just have him from the bench and have him as an absolutely sensational impact player. And maybe that would be a smart approach. Um, but yeah, it's not too long until he's back. I mean, he's certainly teasing it as well. Sometimes in these situations, it's about pulling the guys back. I mean, yeah. I remember the news about Buddy Sheila, he's going to be back before the start of the season. He's going to be back like very soon. And you're seeing this news come out and you're like, actually, is that just the optimism of the player coming out rather than the actual situation? So sometimes the Instagram posts are great and great motivation for Reese as he's doing his rehabilitation, but also pulling back, don't need to risk it, just easing back in. And I think that that, that should be the smart approach. All right, we're going to take our last ad break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some names that came out at the very end of the window, actually after the window that Chelsea were linked to and just trying to gauge a little bit more about what we might be doing heading into the near future. So stay tuned and we will be right back. There is no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. One of the things I love about Indeed is that they make hiring all in one place. It's easy because, well, candidates you invite are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in the search. When you get one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with a quality candidate, it makes it go faster. And when you're looking to hire, the quicker you get the right person in the role, the better. So start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. 
That offer is good for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com forward slash Blue Wire Sports. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com forward slash Blue Wire Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Naz, so a story we saw from you first was that Chelsea did have a bid knocked back at the very end deadline day, a 23 million pound bid for the Norwegian winger from Club Bruges with Antonio Nusa. And this was one that we hadn't heard about before. Another player that feels like they're on the 2030 talent train that Chelsea are just continuing to stock up with passengers. Uh, what did you hear about this move and, you know, Chelsea's interest in a player? Because it doesn't seem like Chelsea are the only club that would be interested in this player. Yeah, I think Chelsea moved at the end of deadline day because Chelsea is actually, for all the talk of FFP and stuff like that, Chelsea was in like one of the strongest places to actually make bids on players. Uh, they had money to spend still. Uh, so they thought, oh, let's wrap him up a bit like you say, because there is so much interest in this kid. He's 18. He's He's doing very well, so it was a bit of a case of can we sign him before anyone else does? A bit like Enzo in January because there was a lot of interest around Enzo too. So it's like sign him, maybe loan him back, that kind of thing. Uh, and and then we've got a guy locked down. Um, so yeah, Chelsea made the bid. It's a good signal intent. Obviously, everyone knows they're interested now because they've done that. But um, yeah, this is a player that let's talk about the Belgian league. Let's talk about. Club Bruges, one of the biggest clubs in Belgium. The Belgian league is the league for young talents. He's Norwegian. He's come from Norway to Belgium. Um, and he's very visible to scouts around world football. So he's seen as one of the best players in that league. He's quick, a great dribbler. He catches the eye, entertaining. Um, so everyone knows that this player has loads of suitors. But I, I guess in to to Antonio Nusa's credit, he sort of said, look, I just want to focus on my club football, not move right now. And the bid was rejected anyway. He wasn't going to push it. So it's just a case of, I'll wait. I'm 18. Um, maybe I don't need to move to Chelsea right now, but maybe in the future, you know, if he has another good season, he might, he might choose to make that leap, whether it's Chelsea or another big club. Yeah, I mean, think about the depth at winger assuming that everybody's healthy and Chelsea signing more wingers who aren't prime Ed and Hazard seems a little odd <laughs> maybe um you know I guess uh, what are your thoughts on on how he would have potentially fit into the to the winger camp that we have which is full of players uh, essentially and none of them are being used on the left <laughs> I know, I know. It sometimes feels like they can't, Chelsea can't resist. They see young talent, they're like, I've got to have him. <laughs> um, you know, it probably wasn't good news. It probably didn't feel good for Diego Moreira, who went on loan to Leon to see that bid and things like that. So you always you always think this the smartest way to do things. Is there really a plan for getting this guy through or do you just see a talent and want a talent? And sometimes it feels like that at Chelsea. I'm sure they believe they have a plan, but I think you will see sometimes, and we saw it with uh, Antonio uh, Nusa. We've seen it with Wahi as well. He did an interview. They both done interviews this week on the international break, and uh, they both said they were sort of cautious about Chelsea because they've got such depth of sort of talent now. So there will sometimes come times where these guys will be like, mm, I'm not sure. Maybe it's better to go to a Dortmund or Frankfurt, things like that, just because I can be the main man and then maybe I can get my big move to a Chelsea or another big club. 
when I'm 21, when I'm 22, when I'm 23. So um, you might get that happen a few times. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if, if Chelsea will constantly be attractive when they've already got like two, three young talents in those positions. It's going to be, to your point, interesting because there are so many players stacked up. It's going to be, do you see the evolution of players that have come in and have had a chance to be able to make a role for themselves, whether that's as a starter or as a substitute, where their international careers are thriving, whether or not that's happening. Are they potentially just being loaned out to Chelsea's farm system, as it were, in terms of the loan clubs that Chelsea have on offer, one now currently in France, but others most likely on the way in the very, very near future, that it will wonder you wonder if Chelsea will be as advantageous as a location or a landing spot for players. And, you know, it, it seemed like, you know, maybe there were others like Wahi who wasn't necessarily interested in as in coming to Chelsea or didn't see it as the top choice option, considering that Chelsea, you know, a did evaluate and say, we want to go a different direction in terms of players, but also players saying, this might not be the spot where I'll be the guy or I'm the individual that they're going to count on. I'm just a part of a larger blue co machine now. Yeah. I sometimes feel like players that when I, when I looked at the market, some players absolutely love what Chelsea do and shout about it to the rooftops. And uh, a lot of the guys they brought in and, you know, you're looking at particularly Moises Caicedo and, and, and Romeo Lavia as well. They love what Chelsea are doing and they absolutely that was a huge attraction. They believe in the vision. They think Chelsea are going to be top class team with this approach in the long run, and they're going to have great careers. But there will be one or two that don't don't agree, it don't see it that way, and, and would maybe want to do it a different way, build their career. I mean, the problem when you join a Chelsea and maybe go on loan to a farm club like a Strasbourg and things like that is you're taking sort of the control out of your hands and letting a big club control it. You know, when you're at a smaller club, it's easy to get out of a smaller club. But when you're at a big club, it's harder to get out of a, you know, a big club. It, it, there's more talent, maybe there's more competition. So, yeah, there is sort of that, you know, counterpoint where maybe sometimes a move to a smaller club, which is the sort of market Chelsea are competing in now. A lot of clubs could buy this £23 million winger. Um, so they're competing with even more clubs for that kind of player. But they might see a Brighton as a bit easier or, or a club like Eintracht Frankfurt as a bit easier and a bit better for the development. So you'll see some that absolutely adore the way Chelsea do it and you'll see some that may be a bit less convinced like Wahi and things like that. One follow-up question is as we kind of wrap the you know, the, the Blue Co model, have there been any um, news or notes on other potential clubs that the Blue Co are looking to either heavily invest in or outright purchase? Yeah, I don't think that there's been too much developments, but we know that there's a few clubs in Portugal they're looking at, um, you know, we spoke to Porto Menenza, things like that. And uh, they are, Portugal is a really big target market, but it's so hard to actually buy these clubs. It can take a while. It was actually a huge victory that they got Strasbourg so quickly. I was shocked um, that it got done like within months of announcing that they're going to do the multi-club model it was a sensational achievement i think so they'll be they'll be back they'll be buying clubs but i think that maybe france was easier and, and things like portugal where fans have a lot of control over their clubs it's uh much trickier so uh yeah a lot of fans don't want to give up control to a, a corporation uh, in these nations so it, it can be trickier to buy clubs from sort of members rather than another i guess company that that might own a club you mentioned Belgium previously as well. Is that, to your knowledge, still a, another target in Europe? 
Yeah, Belgium, Brazil, um, they all have their own advantages, these places. So uh, Belgium's great for work permits and things. If you're going to sign African talents and stuff, uh, Noosa coming from Norway, not part of the European Union, easy to get into Belgium and then that can be a pathway uh, to a career in Europe. So that's the that's the advantage there. I think they even want to invest in Africa somehow. So I'm not sure how that's going to manifest itself. But we've seen like there's clubs in Norway that, and, and Denmark that invest in African talent and, and you see a huge amount of African players come through that route. So um, they might do something like that um, as well. So it's going to be interesting to see, but it's a very big, it's considered a long-term part of the project. It's considered like on the same level as the stadium, like absolute long-term. We want to get this done within 10 years rather than one, one or two. Um, and Strasbourg was a bit of an outlier. Naz, on two of the other updates that came out a little bit after the window, just that, you know, Elise had a new release clause in his contract. That was one that you mentioned. And then also in that same article, you were talking about the consistent links between Chelsea and Ivan Tony that they might have interest in him come January. Uh, it seems like Elise is probably more of a long-term kind of consideration now just with a new contract a new deal with bringing in Cole Palmer with trying to figure out what's going on with the rest of your attacking trio that they're attacking three positions up front and that Tony seems more likely the consideration and evaluation based upon how well do Broya and Jackson do over the next couple of months if Chelsea would be interested going down that route because from a player profile while he's been a prolific goal scorer for Brentford, he also doesn't fit their their age model, uh, so to speak, in terms of trying to get someone under you know twenty five and under to try to get them in and, and maximize the the value of the deal too. Yeah, he would be a bit of a strange target for that reason. Just he's absolutely not in that sort of age bracket where Chelsea are signing players, so it's a it's a strange target. But there definitely seems to be some sort of interest there. I think. There might be concerns around the ban and, and how he'll come back, but I think most people anticipate he'll be just as good uh, of a player, if not better. And I think actually sometimes we forget as well that Ivan Tony and players like him in this Premier League, this is the hardest league in the world. He's playing at this is the highest level. Um, and he's playing extremely well at the highest level, scoring goals and things like that. So he is seen as a massive target. He's going to be a really in the next sort of six to 12 months he's going to be the player that you'll see loads of big clubs bidding on he's um he he is considered his contract's running down at, at Brentford they're trying to get 80 million for him but uh, that he's going to be that kind of guy looking maybe at the next step and uh, Chelsea I think they're considering being part of that conversation but I've just been bigging up Brozier uh, and the way that Chelsea be believe in him uh, and obviously they believe in Jackson as well. Um, so it's very much just a case of he's on the list. They're going to see what they've got um, and they need to, Chelsea needs to get better at seeing what they've got rather than always looking in the market. So uh, I think certainly from Pochettino's point of view, it's, it's about looking at these guys really closely, improving their game. That really excites him with Jackson and Breuer. And if they improve, if they're good this season, then I think that Chelsea would probably be quite reluctant for Tony, but um, there will be a market there for him. And then with Elise, just to touch upon it, he's got that new deal now, which he had a really complex release clause. Chelsea thought they had activated it in in uh, at the end of August, and uh, and they 
Palace said they hadn't. They hadn't met the conditions. Uh, there was all sorts of frustrations between the two clubs, and and now they've clarified the release clause, made it simpler. Um, but it's also a much higher number. I'm not exactly sure what the number is, but it's it's a higher number. Um, I could see Chelsea going back for him in the future, just because they like him. And uh, but there's certainly no room for him right now. After Cole Palmer came in, he's a similar kind of player, I'd say. And uh, I feel like Chelsea feel like they've completed that sort of small uh, winger number 10 profile now so unless something happens like a big player sale I don't think uh, Elise will join but they they really like him so you could never fully rule it out and um, I think that Chelsea might want a slightly bigger squad next season if they get into Europe especially in the Champions League so uh, that could also help him. Well, and speaking of maybe looking inward and not always outward, there are two players that were rumored to be potential departures all the way up until the very end of deadline day. Even Chelsea may be accepting bids like from Burnley for Ian Motson or Connor Gallagher being in the shop window, despite Pochettino continuing to favor the player and play him whenever he possibly has an opportunity to, which delights me to no end. Um, what's your stance or your understanding on where Chelsea are at with these players from a contract perspective now that the deadline day has done, the players are here for at least a minimum until January when the window reopens again, when maybe there would be evaluation on, you know, could there be a deal for Kukurea to leave in January, giving Motson more confidence? Mm-hmm. And if Gallagher sees continued opportunity to impress perform and stay in the side where he feels more confident uh, that Pochettino values him and that he has a, a really strategic role to play yeah it's going to be so interesting to see if they can get these guys on new deals and how that will look and things like that but it's going to be complicated I think that the club are going to have to show them that they're valued you know after being so after being pushed on the market and things like that so it's really complicated and then if they don't sign a new deal, I expect them to be, again, the same cycle of news. They could be sold in January. They could be sold in the summer. All this kind of stuff's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, it, I feel like it's quite complicated. It's not going to happen overnight. They they did. I know this for sure, that they've offered a contract to Ian Matson. He's not signed it. I think the reason he's not signed it was because... The terms didn't make him seem like a particularly important player. He's ready to fight for his future, but I think he would want to fight for a really prove himself at Chelsea before signing a deal. Um, it, as soon as he signs a deal, it's going to be harder for him to dictate the terms of his exit as well. Right. So, so that's going to be an issue for him. So, yeah, he really wants to prove himself at Chelsea. He rejected Burnley himself. Uh, Chelsea accepted the bid. He rejected it. But to sign a new deal, you'd have to feel important. And... Do these two players feel important? Of course, Conor Gallagher is important to Pochettino uh, and proven that by constantly playing. But does he feel important to the club? And that's going to be a key factor for him. With Matson, I think we can all accept we're very excited about him, but we almost admit as well that he's not proven himself yet at this level. Um, can he do that in the next few months? Let's see. Um, and then that might, you know, if he plays really well, becomes a starter, maybe finds a way to get in at left back or something like that, where he where he belongs, where he wants to play. Um, maybe that will help the situation and, and maybe that will lead him to sign a deal. But I don't expect it to happen overnight. Um, the, the latest deal for Matson wasn't a great one, I don't think, in his mind. And Gallagher, I don't think he's been offered a deal yet. So uh, that's that's a very interesting situation itself. Connor has three years left on his current deal or two? Two, I think, two. Yeah, so this is like the time where he would start to 
kind of get that sense of like where they're going to go, right? Yeah, exactly. And there's no shortage of interest in Conor Gallagher, right? So uh, he's had a lot of interest, but he is, he's a Chelsea man through and through. He's hes the one that fans identify with. I, okay, maybe on social media he gets a lot of abuse, but when you go to Stamford Bridge, they adore Conor Gallagher because they see him as like them, sort of personified, a hardworking Chelsea fan who does everything for the team on the pitch, always available, never injured, great lad, um, all this kind of stuff. So he's got that sort of uh, connection with the fans, but um, at the same time, you know, it's it's got to translate throughout the organisation for him to sign and, and commit that way. So, uh, yeah, super interesting what happens. And, yeah, I mean, if he gets to one year left on his deal, he'll have a lot of choice of clubs and, and Chelsea will, as we know from the past, will happily sell him and, and push him out. So very interesting year for him, actually. All right, Naz, well, that is rounding out this little bit of an international break check-in. We know that Chelsea actually don't have the privilege of playing on Friday or Saturday. It is a Sunday match against Bournemouth that sees Chelsea return to Premier League action. And then another long wait for Chelsea to play again. Two Sunday, two Sundays in a row, Bournemouth and Aston Villa coming up. So Chelsea have plenty of time to figure out and get it right with a little bit of a rebound for Pochettino inside. Uh, how are you feeling about those two fixtures for Chelsea at this moment? Both maybe ones where they should win, you would argue? Yeah, they should. Um, it's, it's quite a nervy, it's going to be a nervy couple of games, I think, because uh, they're the last two, I mean, especially the Bournemouth game, that's the last sort of easy fixture, in inverted commas, that Chelsea will face. And then the run gets a lot harder after that. So you're looking at it, four points from four, Chelsea are a bit unlucky to not have so many points. But if you lose to Bournemouth, then there's more pressure on the Villa game than how's that going to go? And then it's a tough run from there. So it's a bit like, it feels a bit nervy already. Um, I just hope that we see a good Chelsea emerge after the break. Um, But we also can't expect too much because Poch hasn't had most of his players available. So what can he do? What can he do? And and, and stuff like that. So they just need to find a way to get the three points and, and it will ease the pressure, hopefully. And, There'll be a positive atmosphere around it, but I know for a fact the guys aren't really panicking right now and, and they see a lot of positive signs. So hopefully it just manifests itself as points because that's the that's the missing link now. Can they turn good, good decent performances into points? Um, even winning while you're bad, that's a huge thing as well. Can Chelsea learn these little, little bits that they, they need to sort of get to where they want to be? All right, well, we're going to try to manifest some points over the week as we get ready for Chelsea's return to Premier League action. But thank you, Naz, for joining us. Thanks, Nick, as well. And thank you to our wonderful listeners. Uh, again, five-star views on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and get notified of new video drops there. And, you know, join us on Patreon.com forward slash London Blue Pod. Great way to support the podcast. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep a blue flag flying high.